Today's reading uh, comes from Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 39. It says, One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to, to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been laying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Uh, please join me in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word and again for your faithfulness. We ask that you, your blessing would be upon Kyle as he uh, preaches now and upon us as we listen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> we can be so grateful this morning for the miracle of life, um, for the miraculous power of God in our lives. And it's always important for us to reflect, I think, when we gather together as God's people, um, how much we, we need the Lord every single day, every single moment. Um, it's a reminder for us um, to do when we gather on Sunday. I know sometimes perhaps people come to church on Sunday for other reasons, uh, community, food, <laughs> um, you know, there's sometimes a whole slew of reasons that people come. You know, some maybe not so healthy or helpful, and others um, pretty good reasons. But I know for me, um, what I need um, is to hear the life-giving Word of God. You know, and it's interesting because I, I preach that Word, right? But I hear it while I preach it, too. So I preach to myself, and I hope um, that's always understood. <laughs> it's always, the, the, sometimes the, uh, the, the, pre the subtext of a sermon is, um, that, the, that the pastor has, always has figured out what he's talking about because I got the mic in my hand and I'm supposed to be the expert. And oftentimes the Lord is preaching to me when I'm um, pr preparing a sermon and I'm like, wow, I need more of this in my life. And um, it's, just, it's so good to be back as well to see your faces. I missed our church family. Um, and just I'm thankful for all of you to just to keep um, working the ministry. And I was actually... Um, for. Some of my time, I was at a Benedictine Roman Catholic monastery in Maine, <laughs> and it was very unique and just kind of outside of my traditional, like, you know, way, and um, what a great time I had, though, alone with God, and, you know, something that monasteries do well is quiet, <laughs> you know, so, and what's also interesting is when I got back, I started interacting with someone, actually, there's new owners of this building, someone purchased this entire building, from the old owners, so I've been kind of interacting with our current lease with the new owners, and the guy keeps calling me Father, <laughs> <laughs> Father Kyle. 
So this morning, I have an announcement to make. <laughs> I left my collar. It didn't come into Amazon yet, so, but the collar is on its way. <laughs> but I had a really restful time. Actually, one of the, 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 um, the texts of Scripture that I spent some time meditating on was the one that you heard this morning uh, um, read to you, and that's our sermon text. I'm just um, really glad to be back and really glad to have the Lord have spoken to me. Um, like I said, I did miss our church very much, and I'm just thrilled to be celebrating our third year anniversary today. And what a miracle that is alone, that so many of you have um, come along in just the short period of time. Some of you started with us, and um, just in the short period of time, some of you have come, to, come along to join us, and we're just so happy um, to be serving Jesus Christ. And I hope that you all stay. We called it a meeting, and that always makes people leave. It's a party. Right, so come to the party after church. No, I'm just, but it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be talking about um, just really cool stuff that's going to be going on ahead. So we're going to have some food and celebration, and it's really awesome. So um, I hope that you can all stay. Uh, today's sermon, I hope, will be a little bit shorter because we have a lot going on after church today. So we, we're going to uh, aim to dismiss a little bit early, um, so that we can celebrate our party. Um, we're going to be taking a, a short break, too, from Genesis this morning, as, as you've noticed. And I've, I've listened to, um, um, so far, two of those sermons. I haven't listened to Mark's yet. I'm really avoiding that one. <laughs> I was just you know, trying to dodge it like a bullet. But um, no, I'm just kidding. But um, really great uh, sermons. But we are taking a break from that. Um, what a wonderful sermon series. I hope that you can come back. It's really about you know, what, is, what, what Christianity is, where we come from, why we believe what we believe. It's a really great um, way to look at different things about the Christian life and life in general. So I hope that you can come and enjoy that series with us. Um, I, as I reflected on t- today, though, I wanted to um, really just try to include what I think is the primary Um, vision of uh, 2018 for us, and um, really have spent a good amount of time in prayer about what that might be. It's interesting because as a, you know, this is kind of new to me. I'm only kind of three years into leading a church, as you know. Um, I was a youth pastor before this, but I've never led a church on this level. Um, And there's this pressure, I'm just going to be completely honest with you, okay? Um, There's this pressure to just kind of make stuff up. You know, like, hmm, what's the vision for this year? Ah, that'll be, that, that sounds right. <laughs> you know, like, you don't want to just make something up. So this is what God told me if he didn't really tell it to you. You know what I mean? Like, and just because that's what you have to do, it's the New Year's. And I kind of felt that pressure. I'm like, I don't want to just, I don't want to do that. And so as I prayed and thought about it more, more fully, um, I just kind of thought about my own life. You know, what, what does Kyle need more of this year? And I, and I started evaluating that, and I started realizing, I, I was able to identify what that was. And then I started realizing, I really think that this is what our church needs more of, too. Um, just a, an observation that I had made. Um, and I refl- so I reflected on the strength of my own spiritual walk and considered what might need more strengthening. And what really kept rising to the surface for me was authentic and regular fellowship. It's not to say that none of us get that already or I don't get that already, but I don't know that it's as regular as it should be. Um, Gospel community is what you've heard it called in the past. And I've labored toward realizing this in my life more fully, but I I know I sort of let it go in ways that I shouldn't. I get kind of busy. I just get busy with tasks. I need to do this. I need to pay my bills. I need to knock this down, whatever, right? 
And not surprisingly, I, I really do believe that churches leaders set a pace for the church, churches that they lead. I think that this is something that we need and, and something that even you are eager to experience. <clears throat> we got a little taste of this yesterday, by the way, at our men's breakfast. And what a, what a fabulous time it was to hear um, Brother Bill preach the Word of God and to see men come together and enjoy the Word and pray and share. And it was really rich, and the fellowship was fantastic. Um, we get that, we get that on, at our men's meetings regularly on, on Saturdays, and we get that at our Bible studies on Wednesday night. Not long ago, um, I was talking with a recovering alcoholic that was uh, sharing with me about what really served him most over the years in his sobriety. And he was telling me how he overcame his obsession to drink, how he became reasonably happy and whole without any substance at all, not replacing it with drugs or pornography or things like this. And what he said was so wise that I I literally started taking notes um, because I wanted to remember it. I didn't want to forget it. He He said that alcoholics don't die from alcohol. They die from isolation. Alcoholics, he said, don't have an alcohol problem. They have an isolation problem. He said to me, you can have, and how many people know this is true, that you can have people all around you, yet still be all alone. And, and the reason for that is because oftentimes when we surround ourselves with others, our talk is very small. Isn't it? Oh, it's been unseasonably cold. Looking forward to the party. What a game. There's a game on tonight, right? And it's not as if these things are wrong to talk about, but it's all we talk about. We never get real. We never lay our soul on the table. And this is what he was saying. We hide that stuff. We generally live with that stuff in our own minds. It never comes out, and we cave in and die. He told me, this was, he, he, he kind of portrayed a, a story in his life that really kind of turned him on to the amazing power of community. He said that early on in his sobriety, he was traveling, and he... Um, he found a meeting, an AA meeting, because he needed to go to one. And he found one, and he found out where it was. He found the address, and he enters the building. And he said when he enters the building, there's this sign that sort of leads him downstairs. So he, he heads downstairs. It's starting to get darker and mustier and dirtier. He's like, where am I going right now? So he heads downstairs, and he enters into the basement. And this is not like a nice finished basement like some of our Portuguese friends have. Um, <laughs> this is... <laughs> This is dungy, like a, a dingy, disgusting, musty, dark basement. It's unfinished. It's dirty. And he said there was one, you guys know what I'm talking about, this one wire with a light bulb hanging. You know that basement light? One, one wire with a light bulb hanging. There was a big eight-foot table, kind of like the ones we have, and about eight to ten biker-looking, all-men guys sitting around the table. Tattoos. Leather, you know, guy-looking guys, right? This is what he enters into. Tough, gritty dudes that you don't want to really meet in a back alley. And what proceeded, what he noticed was really rare in our world, especially among macho, macho men. Because what he, he said started happening, just kind of envision this. Now, these guys are not Christians, so envision this, tough guys, biker guys, around a table, 
and they start sharing their hearts, what's going on in their soul, the things that are bothering them, something that happened at home. They start sharing empathy and love, encouragement. Guys don't do this. Guys don't do this. But these guys did. You want to know why? They were desperate. They were dying. And they knew that if they didn't, it would cost them their lives. Honest, heart-sharing, empathy, love, confession. These leather-clad, tatted dudes put arms around each other. Here's the kicker. At the end of it, they all stand up. They hold hands. They held hands. If I asked everyone in this room to hold hands right now, you probably would start sweating. Some of you would be a little uncomfortable with this. They hold hands, and you know what they do? They pray. (laughs) They start praying. I'm listening to this, and I'm like, what? (laughs) I've never seen, I rarely see that at church, that kind of behavior. What planet am I on? It's, it's as if these non-Christian, pagan, alcoholic bikers knew more about what it was to follow Jesus than I do. And he said to me, that's the kind of community that keeps me alive. It keeps me away from drinking. It keeps me emotionally sober. That's what I need. And friends, there's one element I think missing even as powerful as it is and healthy as it is to live that kind of life, there's one element missing, and it's Jesus Christ. You see, friends, to leave Jesus out of that community, it's helpful and it's healthy, but it's not quite as life-giving. That's the kind of community, friends, that we need as a church. Committed to trusting each other for help, to evaluate personal failures. This is what these men are doing. Confessing sin, they don't call it that, but confessing shortcomings, things to each other, to people they've hurt regularly. Oh man, I was was hearing this and I was speechless. It's like I I almost got a kind of a vision of the church that I want to be from drunks who don't know Jesus Christ. (laughs) How, did, how does that happen? Well, maybe the same way that God can inspire a donkey to preach the word of God in the Old Testament, right? God can use anything to reveal something that's rich and truthful, something that we need in our lives desperately. I also don't want to come across as if I'm pointing a finger at you and saying, you guys don't do this, get right. I think we all need to grow in this. I'm in this with you as well. I think as I look at my life and I look at this church, we need strength in this, strengthening in this. So this morning I have one statement for us, one vision for 2018, that gospel life lived together is the only thing that's going to keep us alive. Gospel life lived together is the only thing that will keep you alive. You say, well, I don't do that and I'm just doing fine. Are you? Is it really a good life to hide, to not bear your soul, to sit on your, your fears or your problems? Can you test the waters of faith and gospel community to see how you might grow in ways? You know, you know what, you remember Lewis's words, we're so content eating mud pies that we start thinking they're chocolate cakes. He didn't say it like that, but that's all we know. But there's this, this holiday that we're unaware of. 
there's a joy, a life to us, available to us, that is so much more liberating and life-giving. Gospel life lived together is the only thing that will keep us alive. Now in our text, I'd like to look at the power of and our need for gospel community. And the first obvious thing, I think, that sort of jumps off the page in our text is that there's a man blind who had a severe problem. He had a physical, uh, a physical ailment. Did I say blind? Yeah, he's a paralytic. I'm sorry about that. And he can't do anything about it. He never has been able to do anything about it. He's been stuck in that condition for much of his life. And friend, could I suggest to you that his problem is our problem? We have a problem, and true community cannot thrive unless that problem is talked about, acknowledged, and dealt with, and not hidden and sat on. We have a problem. The basic story goes like this. Here's this paralyzed man whose friends bring him to Jesus to be healed. See this community? Okay, he's got some friends. They're in community. And he brings him to Jesus to be healed. On seeing the throng of people around the house, these guys realize that they can't get in. So they must have had someone like Victor around because they say, let's go on the roof and let's start digging a hole through it. (laughs) No one thought of that. You see how desperate they are. You see, it's not an option for them to not be with Jesus. They are so utterly and completely desperate, they have to be with him. See, I don't want to force you, manipulate you, coerce you, to gather to worship Jesus Christ together regularly. I want you to be desperate for it. I want you to see your need for it. I want you to realize that your life is on the line because because otherwise I'm always going to have to be tricking you in. Well, we have donuts this week. I want you to be alive. When you're alive, you end up in uh, dingy basements around dark lights. Nothing can keep you away when you're alive. We don't have to come up with schemes to trick you to come and gather and come to church or come to Bible study or to gather on your own with friends to talk about Jesus or to call them on the... We don't have to come up with creative ways to to hoodwink you into doing that. You see, these guys were desperate. They knew Jesus had life and they knew that they were toast without him. So they went to him and they start tearing a hole through the roof and they lowered his friend down on ropes... So that, they might, so that he might land smack in front of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, did you notice these curious words? When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. I'm not here for that. I'm, did, did you notice I can't walk? Jesus, I need to walk. I just like that, thanks And and I I think it's important for us to kind of pause and take note of this because many times I think we come to gather because something's wrong in our life. We need to walk again somewhere. We're in trouble. We're afraid. We're scared. I'm not trying to demean that. God uses that to draw us at times. But friends, our biggest problem is not our problem. It's our sin. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that he could give this man legs and that he could walk that very moment and be just as miserable and dead and lost as he was before he came through the door or the roof. So these industrious friends bring him to Christ and Christ almost kind of insensitively says, your sins are forgiven. (laughs) 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German uh, defector. He lived during the time of the Nazi regime in Germany, and he was a brilliant Christian theologian and godly man. And when this started, all of this heinous activity started coming out, he fled like a lot of other Germans did. And I think he fled in particular to America, but I don't remember. He started feeling convicted about this, and he, sa- he started feeling, I need to stand with my countrymen. So he goes back, he goes back to Germany, and long story short, he ends up getting resist- um, arrested and executed by the Nazis. But he left behind him a treasure of Christian insight. Brilliant man, a prolific writer, and he writes a book called Life Together, and it's about Christian community. This is what he says. The greatest psychological insight, ability, and experience cannot grasp this one thing, what sin is. Worldly wisdom knows what distress and weakness and failure are, but it does not know the godlessness of man. And so it also does not know that, underline this, that man is destroyed only by his sin and can be healed only by forgiveness. Now I gotta, I gotta stop here and I gotta think about something. My marriage falling apart is not what destroys me. It doesn't have that kind of power. Sin destroys me. And when there is Christ and there is life, you can handle the tragedies of life with resolve. You can. You see, we short-sightedly think we need our problems to be fixed, but really what we need is our heart to be fixed. We have a, man is destroyed only by his sin and can be healed only by forgiveness. Only the Christian knows this. In the presence of a psychiatrist, I can only be a sick man. But in the presence of a Christian brother, I can dare to be a sinner. You see, friends, as hard or confusing as this may be to, sw- to swallow, and this might be misunderstood, we need to be sinners together. Our community needs to be one where we acknowledge that we are sinners. And that is our primary problem. See? Man is destroyed only by a sin and can be healed only by forgiveness. So Christian community can never be anything less than a group of people completely aware of their crimes against God, each other, and completely willing to repent to God, to repent to each other, and also to forgive each other like Christ forgives us. That's Christian community at its best. It is a confessing community. It is acknowledging the the heinousness and the problem of our sin, that we are destroyed by sin and only destroyed by sin. The church is for sinners only. And it is the problem of our sin that should have brought us here in the first place. Many of you perhaps are aware of a a young woman named uh, Rachel Den Hollander. Uh, She was the first person to publicly speak out against the sex crimes of the Olympic physician Larry Nasser. And maybe some of you have heard of this woman. And um, uh, Mr. Nasser abused, I think, over 100 girls in his lifetime. Um, what people don't know about Den Hollander is that she was a um, wonderful follower of Jesus Christ. 
And she addressed Nasser um, in court, face to face. You guys probably are aware of some of this, where the judge actually had all the girls um, address Nasser. And she did it last. She gave her the last spot because she's the one that blew the whistle. Den Hollander says this to Nasser. Imagine this. You have become a man ruled by selfish and perverted desires. A man defined by his daily choices repeatedly to feed that selfishness and perversion. You choose to pursue your wickedness no matter what it costs others. Right off the bat, you say, wow, she's a Christian. Shouldn't be like, hey, Jesus loves you. He died for your, you know, like, she, it doesn't sound very compassionate. She sounds pretty tough on him so far, but let's keep reading. She says, the definition of sacrificial love portrayed is of God himself loving so sacrificially that he gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin he did not commit. He said, she said, Mr. Nasser, you spoke of praying for forgiveness, but Larry, if you have read the Bible you carry, you know forgiveness does not come from doing good things, as if good deeds can erase what you've done. It comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you have done and all its utter, utter depravity and horror without mitigation, without excuse, and without acting as if good deeds can erase what you've done. The Bible you speak carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. And here she says, and watch this, should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Jesus Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. I don't know that I've ever heard the gospel presented more clearly. Even by myself. <laughs> you see, friends, there is no gospel until we recognize the heinous, crushing, destroying power of sin in our lives. That we have sinned against God and we carry the death of that sin daily. All forgiveness, including our own. You say, well, that's, that's an example of someone who's really bad. I'm not that bad, but friends, we go to the same righteous God with the same grotesque stain of sin. And we need the same repentance which requires facing and, and acknowledging the truth about what we have done in all its depravity and horror without mitigation and without excuse. Friends, we are sinners and we deserve not mercy from God but His judgment. You see, he extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And the Christian has been given that mercy. Amen? We are sinners, friends. And without forgiveness that God supplies through repentance, we will only be destroyed by our sin. And it's no less true of any of us in this room today. Because, friends, how can, can we not say of ourselves that oftentimes we are ruled by our own selfishness? 
that we are ruled by our own perverted desires, that we make our choices daily to feed our selfishness and our perversion. We do this in different ways, maybe in our minds in less heinous ways, but we still do this. And this, for us, for the gospel community, is what makes the gospel so sweet to us because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And a a community that calls itself a church that forgets the problem of sin, the destroying problem of sin, that doesn't discuss it, that doesn't confess it, that doesn't see its primary influence in our lives, Friends, we remain in darkness. We remain unhealthy if that's the kind of community that we have. Our lame legs are not our greatest problem. Our broken soul is. So we need regular community, weekly, maybe some of us daily, of confession, of grace that comes to us in spite of the sin that has wrecked us. But number two, we are powerless over that problem. Isn't this, the news is getting better. We have a problem, but, hey, happy, you know, Super Bowl day. You can't do anything about it. There is nothing at all that you can do about the sin problem. Nothing. You cannot heal yourself just as this paralytic man could not lift himself off the ground by the power of his own word. Friends, we cannot lift the power of sin by the power of our deeds good deeds, or likewise. Not only are we a community of sinners, but we are a community of helpless sinners. We absolutely need the gospel in each other, or we die. The Bible's clear message from start to finish is that we cannot die for, pay for, or suffer for our own own sin. We can't make it right. We can't blot it out. And this paralytic could not give life to his legs. He was powerless. And we are utterly and completely helpless over the power of sin. How many people have ever tried to stop doing something we know we shouldn't be doing? How did that go? <laughs> right. Two thumbs down. It's, it seems as if the more I try, the more impossible it is. Why is that? I hope that as we go, we'll see. But there's, there's nothing that we can do about the sin problem. We can try. We might kick one vice and trade it for another. We, like one writer of Scripture says, do the things we don't want to do. There is this power over us that we cannot escape. And I know, friends, that the idea of sin, I'm talking about sin a lot this morning, and if you're new to our church, and you're more, you're more I guess, like inclined to think like, like most moderns in our, um, in our American culture, sin can be kind of like, if you use that word, it's kind of looked at, it's some relic of the past still believes in this stuff. Like there's a God that we offend and that there's a heaven and whatnot. You know, so, so I understand you might trip over this, but friend, does your soul ache? Do you yearn for, acknowledge something, but never find it? you seem kind of wandering around, always thinking that something else will fill your empty heart, but it never works? Do you sense that all isn't right in the world that you live in? Let me say that again. Do you sense that something is wrong in the world? Join the club. 
Do you sense that some of, some of us are just kind of cut off from something that we never meant, we're never meant to be cut off from? You see, the Christian calls that the wages of sin. You carry that. We carry that. We all carry that because we have sinned against God our maker and are separate from the one who identifies us and completes us. See, friends, the Bible's suggestion to you is that our sin against God is what caused that aimless wandering. And none of us can escape this. None of us can solve the riddle. None of us can do it. We need Christian community. Now I speak to the church. We need Christian community that does not trust in itself, but trusts in the Word of God and the power of God. That we don't rely on our own ingenuity or our ideas or techniques, but like these men who were desperate, recognized that they could do nothing for their paralytic friend because he was powerless over his problem and what he needed was a power outside of himself. And friends, this is the solution. We have a solution. It gets better. The story gets better. We have a solution, a power outside of ourselves, a power greater than ourselves, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. A power foreign to this created thing, this created world. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. And he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus looks into your eyes and decrees to you and promises to you that your sins are forgiven, friend, they're gone. Never remembered anymore. Isn't that great news? That's the gospel. That's the good news. When the sun speaks, heaven and earth bows its head. There's nothing that the sun can't do. I once heard it said that all of creation, everything above the earth and below the earth, the stars at every moment of every day constantly obey God. They have to. The earth is in its orbit, the stars twinkling in the sky, our hearts pumping in our chest. Everything obeys God except us. And we wonder where our misery comes from. And not only do we wonder why we're miserable, but we're mad at God for, in our own minds, making us miserable. Because of Christ. Because of Christ. We're not just a community helplessly destroyed by the wages of sin. We are a rescued community. We have been given power, not just for, for the forgiveness of sins, not just to stand clean before God, but power now to overcome sin, to be free of it by the power of Christ. David says repeatedly in Psalm 119 that the law of the Lord, isn't this curious if you know the Bible, that the law of the Lord is like honey. It's like gold. It's like silver. Isn't this interesting? How is thou shalt not kill like a bag of gold? How is do not commit adultery as sweet as honey? The law of the Lord is like honey to me. Isn't this curious? Is anyone, C.S. Lewis actually was reading, reading his book on reflections on the Psalms, and he makes this point about these statements in Psalm 119, that he was so confused how the psalmist could treat the law 
like this. It's almost like he loves it. It's beautiful to him. How are rules? Does anyone have children? You were a child if you don't have a child, right? How many children loved their parents' rules? They're like gold to me. It's just, we don't think like rules are annoying. They're annoying little chores. They're things that get in the way of the real fun. That's how we think as kids. And friends, don't we, don't we impute that sort of on God? But the psalmist, he's not talking like this anymore. He's not gritting his teeth and saying, okay, God, I won't, you know, have sex outside of marriage. He, he's not doing this. He's not annoyed that he can't have fun. This is the fun. The obedience is the fun. Why is that? What's happened to this man? Is he insane? How did he get this? type of perspective. I want you to imagine a tree in the forest. Okay? You guys know what a tree is, right? This is going to get harder, so pay attention. I want you to imagine a tree in the forest, and this tree has got leaves and bark and branches and all the stuff that a normal tree type of thing has. Okay? So this tree is in, in the forest, and all of a sudden he decides, you know, I resent the fact that my roots are in the dirt. I resent the fact that the sun is beating on me. So I'm going to talk to my tree friends, and we're going to start a revolution. Let's all pull our roots out of the ground. Let's all somehow try to create a canopy over us so that fireball in the sky stops shining on us. What's going to happen to that tree? It's going to die. You see, the roots, the ground, the water, the sun is its life. It operates under a certain law that if it scorns, will kill him. See, the psalmist knew that. The psalmist learned that. He realized that cheating on my wife doesn't bring me joy. Obeying Jesus brings me joy. I believe God. I believe his word. And when I start believing it, it inspires us to obey it, and we start receiving the life-giving power and joy and pleasure from it. You see? The Word of God does this for us. The precepts of the Lord are like gold. The law of the Lord is like honey. You see, if you notice something, if you're familiar at all with the Bible, you'll remember that later on in Scripture, in the New Testament, you, you see writers um, in the New Testament saying that the law destroyed us. We are not under the law, right? And it, this seems kind of confusing because it seems as if the New Testament is saying, like, we're hating on the law. And the Old Testament is saying, wow, it's sweeter than honey and gold. And it's, it's fantastic. What's going on? What's happening with this? And here's the difference. Here's what the New Testament is talking about. It's saying that if you try to get your sins forgiven by obeying the law, it becomes a curse to you. You see the difference? But when you're saved and your sins are forgiven already, and you're not using the law to impress God, but simply to be who he's decreed you to be, it's life to you. So you're not trying to impress God by obedience. That's when the law becomes crushing. But friends, when you know that you're saved by grace through faith, his law is like honey to you. And when you start actually believing that and saying, my life is more fulfilled and more complete because of the word of God, 
then you start obeying it. You have to. Because you start seeing the shipwreck, that what it does to you, it makes you paralyzed. It bankrupts your life. It makes you crazy. You start to think over and over again that if you continue to disobey God, that somehow t- tomorrow it will make, you'll be happier, but you won't. To be freed from the power of sin and united to Christ in love is life for us, friends. And that life is given to you as a gift. Friends, our community needs to meet often around this confessing to each other the problem of our sin that destroys, remembering our powerlessness to defeat its grip, and delighting in the free grace and rescue of Jesus Christ. Amen? And for that, number four, we need to be a community that exposes. See, wow, this, this sounds a little tough. Let me explain to you what I mean. We all must be willing to live under the scrutiny of God's word, for love's sake and for life's sake. If you can't come to me, in a way that honors scripture, I'm not saying inappropriately, gossip is something, right? But if you can't come to me and say, brother, I noticed that, that you're, you're having trouble with this. I'm concerned about you. And if all, the, the only reaction that we always get from each other is, how dare you? Who do you think you are? I know what you did. If, that's, if, that's, if we're just touchy and we can't ever talk about these things, then we're going to remain in them and it's going to kill. We need to be willing to live under the scrutiny of God's word for love's sake and for life's sake. I'm not suggesting that we're judgmental and difficult and impossible. I'm not suggesting that, but we can't go in the other direction where we just smile all the time and never say anything. Friends, is the law of the Lord like honey to us? Is it life to us? Friends, gospel communities don't hide. They don't cover up. They call darkness darkness for love's sake. You might have seen the movie Spotlight, um, which was about the awful um, sex crimes that were um, covered up by the Roman Catholic Church in Boston. And one of the lines in it, and by the way, I'm not dissing the Roman Catholic Church. Um, Many, many communities do this, not just them. But in the movie, it was said, if it takes a village to raise a child, it takes a village to abuse one. And Den Hollander says this, the extent that one is willing to speak out against its own community is the bright line test for how much they care and how much they understand. You see, I'm not advocating flippantly exposing things and not thinking about how to wisely proceed. Gossip is something, and we need to be careful. But friends, we must live and walk in the light for our own sake, for the sake of Christ, and for the sake of the community which needs Christ. You see? We need to be honest. We need to be transparent The light exposes. Now here's something that's important to understand. When a light comes on in a room, what happens? Everything shines up. It exposes everything in the room. It doesn't do this to injure injure the room, right? When you turn a light on, if a room is really filthy, you know, our cleaning crew didn't come this week, so dim the lights. (laughs) Because it's really filthy in here. But what do lights do? Lights expose. 
That light does, isn't coming on to injure the thing that it's exposing. Quite the opposite. You see, when the light comes on, and we see for the first time what, what, what is really going on, we actually have the opportunity to heal and to do something about it, to cut off the cancer. But if we pretend, if we close our eyes, if we turn the lights off, if we hide, if we never confess, if we never expose ourselves to other people, we're just going to continue in the, the wages, the weight of whatever it is that we're hiding. See? The light exposes, not to injure, but to save. Friends, we already carry the injury. You know, if you turn the lights off at your home and someone comes in, you know it's because it's dirty. You're not like, hmm, I'm, I'm doing this because I think it's clean. You know that. When you don't want someone to come over, right, because your house is dirty, you don't have time to clean it. You, you know it's dirty. So when the light comes on, why should we be offended? We already know. The light comes on so that we can, so that we can help each other, so that we can clean up that the power of God's word can make us who we're supposed to be. See? The final thing that I want to talk about tonight is that gospel community is on mission. It is on mission. These friends of this paralytic man had a mission to bring him to the one who alone could give him life. I want to uh, talk to you a little bit more about Bonhoeffer again. Listen to what he says. Jesus Christ lived in the midst of enemies. At the end, all his disciples deserted him. On the cross, he was utterly alone, surrounded by evildoers and mockers. For this cause, he had come to bring peace to the enemies of God. So the Christian, too, belongs not in the seclusion of a, clo- of a cloistered life, but in the thick of foes. Right? There is his commission, his work. Martin Luther said this. The kingdom is to be in the midst of our enemies. And he who will not suffer this does not want to be of the kingdom of Christ. He wants to be among friends, to sit among roses and lilies, not with the bad people, but the devout people. Oh, you blasphemers and betrayers of Christ. If Christ had done what you are doing, who would ever have been spared? Did you hear that? You see, we're not supposed to just kind of hide with our Christian friends. We're supposed to be bringing enemies in. We're supposed to be bringing people hostile to the faith in, into our communities, into our homes, you see? You see uh, th- this is what these men knew. They brought this paralytic who was still left in his sin. These men knew he needed Christ, so they included him in their lives. And friends, gospel community does the same. It is on mission. It is not just about Christians getting together so that they can grow in Jesus. It is about that, but it's also about taking people, paralyzed people, people who, who alone need the power of Jesus Christ to open their eyes and including them. See, that's the mission of the church. It's to grow us personally, but also to grow the kingdom, which means that we have to be around sinners. We have to be around, and we have to contend with their ideas. We have to not be angry at them when they bring them up. You know how we can do that sometimes. Someone starts 
talking against our faith and we're like, ah, we start getting like itchy and we want to punch them and we're not patient. And oftentimes it's just because we're insecure. We can't take it. Friends, we need to be on mission. Gospel community has a mission and without it, it is not gospel community, you see? So let us never forget this. Community is not meant to hide us, to isolate us, to withdraw us from the world around us. Our communities need to be finding the soul paralyzed and carry them to heal so that they might be healed in the presence of Christ. To bring them into our communities, which are meant, by the way, to be a picture of Jesus. So I'm praying in 2018 that this would be the year of gospel community. That all of us would prayerfully consider how we're doing with this. And maybe creating your own. You see, sometimes in the church we wait, like, well, I really, am, I really can only do Wednesday night, so I'll just wait for the church to do something on Wednesday night. And if they never do, I guess I'll never have community. But you know you could do it on your own. You know you could talk to us, and we could figure something out, right? We don't have to have pastors at all of these. We just need to fellowship. We need to live that kind of life together. Amen? So I'm praying that 2018 is the year of small groups. The, the year of meaningful friendships. Meaningful friendships. And not just small groups, but gospel groups. Not just friendships, but gospel friendships. And I'm praying that God grants us the, the gift of desperation so that we might pant for his word and for community around his word. That we are destroyed by sin, helpless to defeat it, yet rescued by his word, will, and grace. Amen? And allowing that word and each other to cast light on us, to rescue us, and to rescue the lost. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for this wonderful church. Thank you that Jesus Christ came to save us. We're about to take communion. God, in communion, we remember the death and resurrection of Jesus. And if anyone here is a Christian, you are welcome to participate in this communion. If you are not a Christian, I would invite you right now to turn from your sin to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. Cast it on him, it will all be gone. Trust that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came to rescue sinners like you. And when you trust him, all your sin will be gone and you'll be free, and you'll have the hope of eternal life. Friend, if that's you, cry out to God right now, God, save me a sinner. I am a sinner. I have rebelled against you, my creator, my king. But God, in your mercy, you extend mercy when none was, when none was required to give to me. You extended it anyway. And I'm trusting in Christ that you'll forgive me, that he died the death I deserve to die in my place. Friend, if that's you, if your heart is turning to Jesus Christ, you are forgiven, you are saved. Walk with Christ. Acknowledge him right now before God. Speak to me after church if that's you. Don't let up. Be desperate. Run up here. Talk to me. And God, for the rest of us, as, as we enjoy this communion, I pray, God, that we would remember the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That as we participate in your supper, that he is coming again. Your word says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread.